3: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? Do you believe in monsters? Do you think about it? Are you sure you don't? Have you stopped believing in them since you were a kid? Or do you just believe in different ones now? 1959, Russia. A group of hikers, 10 of them, took off towards the Ural Mountains. It's a mountain range there. You don't have to know about it. And they had a goal, and that goal was to climb Mount Oterton. Now, I should explain something about these 10 hikers before we go any further. They were all young in their early 20s. They were all extremely fit. They were all extremely experienced. And when I say extremely experienced, I think I need to explain something. They were all grade two hikers. And if they completed this mission, that meant they would become grade three hikers, which is the highest certification you can get. Now, I can see your eyes rolling into the back of your head. I don't know what any of that means. Here's what it means. What it means is you have proven You have massive amounts of experience doing what you do. You didn't just throw on a backpack that morning and start walking with a walking stick. These are people who would have to have proven. They know their way around mountains. They know their way around hills. They know their way around rocks, avalanches, steep slopes, storms. These are experienced people, most likely people that grew up doing this in that mountainous area. I used to live in Montana for quite a while. We moved there till I was or when I was 10, we moved there. I ended up graduating high school from there. and we would go up to we'd go up skiing. And there would be avalanche risks and things like that along the ski slopes because it's a mountain. That's just the way it is. Well, they had certifications for all these different instructors and mountain-type people up there. And I will just tell you, having spent some time with these people, it takes a long time to get these certifications. These people knew what was what. That is going to be important to our story. So just know this. This is not a group of 10 hikers that took off and I think we're just going to walk today. No, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew how to do it. They knew how to face adversity. They knew how to pack in their food that they needed. They knew how to pack in their tents. They knew how to pack in their skis because you spend a lot of your time on cross-country skis when you're hiking through mountains like that. Again, not a skill you just step into and do one day. Long time, long time of experience it takes to get to be that good. And because they wanted their grade three certification, they had a really cool, albeit a little bit harrowing mission to climb Mount Oterton. Again, experienced smart people. So they got with their friends beforehand and said, hey, we're taking off here. It's the end of January. If we're not back by... Mid-February, uh, something went wrong. Call. And that is, a, again, it sounds like such a simple thing, but that is something the the most experienced people when it comes to mountains will do over and over and over again. Like the people I told you about on the side of the ski hill, they wear locators in case they do get caught in an avalanche, and so they can be found before they suffocate to death under the snow. People check in always. I used to go hunting in the mountains by my or, or with a group of guys. I'll I'll tell you that story later. But you would check in no matter what. It was just part of what you did. You would make sure you told a friend or two, we are going here. We're going to be located approximately here. If we're not back at this time, send help. That is something you learn to do when you live in and around the wilderness. And so they did it again, experienced, experienced, and 10 of them take off. Now, by the grace of God, one of them, Ends up having some severe health problems. He had had heart problems before. His knees were bothering him. Really soon after they took off, he turned around and went back. He was the lucky one. The other nine took off into the mountains. And you get to a point, again, when you're experienced, that you learn, well, wait a minute. We're going to be coming back through here at this spot on our way back. Why don't we unload some of this food so I don't have to carry all of it all the way? Bury it right here or stash it right there, depending on just how remote it is. I'll tell you, we used to bury our food in these big five-gallon sealable drums in the ground. We'd dig a big holes in the ground and bury them under would ever find them. And then we'd go back during elk season. They bury their food and they take off. And you can look all this up after this but there are pictures of this there are diaries of this we have their notes we have their pictures of them on skis we can see their faces the leader of the group his name was igor dyatlov and igor dyatlov makes his way with his group into dyatlov pass which was obviously not called dyatlov pass at the time you'll figure out why here in just a moment They begin their climb, and a horrible whiteout sleet blizzard hits. Now, having grown up in that area, maybe you didn't, it's scary. I will tell you that. It is scary. It is like something out of the movies when you get in some of those whiteout conditions in the mountains because you just cannot see. And you cannot land navigate. And this is pre-GPS times. If your GPS would even function, you can't see. I've been in a sandstorm like that in Iraq before. And it was horrifying. You just Your, your hand barely in front of your face. You can't see. So they lost their way a little bit. Not the end of the world. Ended up drifting a mile west. Of course, we know all this, again, from their diaries. Got a little lost. Drifted a mile west. Decided that they were just going to camp out there on a mountainous slope for the night. Again, not anything that would be unfamiliar to experienced hikers like this. People camp out on mountain slopes all the time. It's good practice. You have to learn how to do it. Again, it's not for everybody. You and I think about camping as throwing a tent on the flat ground by the lake. This is a little bit more difficult. However, something people like this do. Winter conditions, lay out their tents, which we know they did. Get a little twisted around, which we know they did, but all's good. Tents are set up. Crawl into bed that night, which we know they did, and all is fine because they'll ride out a blizzard in a tent, right? Except none of them were alive the next day. And none of them were in their tents the next day either. February 20th rolls around. Keep in mind, this is a few weeks after people are uh, a little concerned. Remember these were experienced hikers and said, Hey, if we don't show back up here, uh, send a rescue team, please. They did send a rescue team. Rescue team makes its way into the mountains. Now it would take a little bit of time because remember they veered off course, but an experienced rescue team would realize this. So, they do a little hunting around on the direction they thought they were going to go, and eventually they think they see it up ahead. They think they see the tents. They're, I mean they're a little disheveled, but okay, we'll, we'll make our way over there, and they start making their way towards the tents. The rescue team starts to approach these tents, and this is this looks weird. And they get to the tents. And the tents are empty. And the tents have been cut open from the inside. Hang on.
4: Truth. Attitude. Jesse Kelly.
1: They find the tents. And the tents have been cut open from the inside. Why were the tents cut cut open from the inside? There were still the doors on the tents. And they start looking around and what do they see? Well, there were 9 people in this group. There were also 9 sets of footprints leaving the area. What's weird is These experienced hikers, these people who knew all about what they were doing, they were all barefoot, or all at least in their socked feet, and virtually all of their gear was still in the tents that they cut open. Strange, right? But still not totally unexplainable what if a, a band of robbers started shooting at them i mean who who knows i mean you could at least come up with something so far okay all right oh don't worry it it gets much stranger well there's a line of trees about a mile away from this tent site they see plenty of shoe prints or footprints heading that way they take off that way and what do they find well they find two guys named yuri I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce these Russian last names. One starts with a K. And the other one starts with, I forget. No, a D. One starts with a K. The other one starts with a D. They find these two guys right as you go into the trees. These guys are dead. Frozen solid on the ground. Keep in mind, we're talking 20 below zero here. And they're in their underwear. And nothing else a mile away from the tent site. Oh, did I mention they have rips and tears in the palms of their hands as if they were trying to climb trees, and so the investigators began looking at the cedars around them Fifteen feet off the ground, there were broken branches on the cedar trees around them, as if these men were trying to climb to escape something. They kept looking, because that's, that's two down. We got seven more to go. And they found three more. A little ways further into the trees. Now, they thought all... All five of these people died of hypothermia. That's what they thought. But that didn't explain the fact that one of the next three they found was kind of brown, not just purple. And he had a gray liquid coming out of his mouth. One of the next three they found had head injuries that looked like he fell and hit his head repeatedly. Another one of the next three they found had a baton-shaped bruise on her side. Well, that's all extremely weird, is it not? Again, all of them in their underwear. Well, that's five down. There were nine total, and they couldn't find the other four. Frustrating. The search would continue, but okay, that was weird enough. Only two months later, they did find the other four. Further into those woods, there was a 75, I believe it was 75 feet. It was a ravine. 75 meters, I'm sorry. It was a ravine. And they found the four at the bottom of this ravine. Only These four didn't die of hypothermia. These four died of something nobody can explain. The first one, Nikolai was his name. He suffered significant skull damage. Two of the others had huge, significant chest wounds. Only not wounds like an ax Not skull damage like an axe. Wounds, and I quote, consistent with a high-speed car crash. You think I'm done? I'm not done yet. One of them with the terrible wounds and only one. Her eyes were missing. And her tongue was missing. And her lips were missing. Remember we were looking for four more? This this part gets just as weird. That was three of the four with the skull fractures and the chest caving in and the missing eyes and the missing tongue. They found the fourth guy right down there with them, and he was fine. He had died of hypothermia. No major wounds like the other four. As you can imagine... Questions were raised, but keep in mind where and when we are. This is 1959 in Russia. Russia, only adding to the mystery of everything and only adding to the confusion that remains to this day, gave some weird incident about it being an avalanche or something and sealed the case up and would not let anybody else in there to investigate. Now, obviously, we know... It wasn't an avalanche. An avalanche would explain virtually none of what we see. None of what we see. It just wouldn't. But Russia is what Russia is. In fact, they actually opened an investigation into this again last year. Chris, did you know that? (laughs) Yeah, last year. Now do you believe in monsters? Monsters. There is something in the human psyche, you have it, I have it, we all have it, that we like to explain everything dangerous around us. We like to put our arms around it. We like to explain it. I just don't want any mystery to it. And as long as there's no mystery to it, it doesn't freak us out. How many Americans die every year from heart disease? How many Americans die every single year from cancer? Car accident. I mean, thousands, right? Tens of thousands. That's just what happens. And yet, we don't demand round-the-clock news coverage of every one of them. We don't sit around demanding government action for every single one of them, do we? When's the last time you demanded government lock everybody down until we figure out heart disease? We're going to lock everybody down until we figure out car accidents. As I said yesterday, you could eliminate car accidents tomorrow. Tomorrow, the United States government could eliminate car accidents. No more vehicles lot on the road. But you don't, and you don't demand that. And why don't you demand that? The same reason I don't, because I can explain it. I feel like I can maybe try to avoid it. And more than any of that, I convince myself it can't happen to me by accident. Now, if I die of heart disease, it's going to be because I ate three cheeseburgers a day. We let this whole coronavirus thing cause us to do things we would never have done a month ago because it's a monster, and monsters scare us. And that incident I just described is going to creep you out, and it's going to haunt your dreams tonight, not because of hikers dying. Hikers die all the time, but because you don't want to think about that the next time you pitch your tent with your family by the lake. The truth of the matter is simply this. There are monsters everywhere.
4: The Jesse Kelly Show.
1: The Jesse Kelly show staff is now abuzz trying to figure out this mystery. I did forget to tell you one little tidbit. Two of the people found in the bottom of the ravine had radiation on their clothes. Chris and Mitchell think they know what happened. Chris, please what? tell me what you think happened again. Chris says the military. Now, could you specify what do you mean? What do you think the military did? A group of commandos went down there? You think they dropped a nuclear bomb on them? What are you talking about? Well, raising your hands is not an explanation, Chris. Okay, so you don't know what happened. That's the problem. Nothing explains everything, does it? Nothing does. Nothing does. What? A radioactive super bear. You know, Honestly, this is one of those incidents that prompts people to talk about Bigfoot, especially with the 15 foot high branches being broken off. People talk about Bigfoot, but I dismiss that not because I don't believe in Bigfoot, even though I really don't believe in Bigfoot. I dismiss that because don't tell me there's a Bigfoot out there and he didn't leave tracks along with the other nine people leaving tracks bigfoot with left tracks a grizzly bear leaves tracks let's assume it's a wild animal even if it's not it's a, it's you know even if it's not quite that wild it's leaving tracks in the snow what chris could have been drugged these were not people on drugs these were not people on drugs now these are small or not small these are young healthy fit people who do dangerous fit things these people are not these people are not on drugs. They're not on drugs. The maybe the weirdest part of it, honestly, the climbing of the tree is probably the weirdest part for me. Two guys in twenty below zero in their underwear trying to climb a tree to escape escape something. That might be the weirdest part. That's weirder than the chick having her eyes getting eaten out. No, you say the eyes part's the weirdest. I say it's not, because that uh, birds could do that and would do that. Okay, you're right. It is weird that she was the only one that had... Okay, never mind. Crap. See, anytime I come up with an explanation, it gets shot down. The guys in their underwear, 20 below zero, trying to climb a tree, that's the part that gets me because that's fear. I mean, that is a fear that few people have ever felt before when you're doing something so irrationally insane. I mean what are you going to do even in your underwear 20 below 0 even if you climb the tree you're going to die within 10 minutes, 20 minutes of hypothermia at those temperatures in your underwear you just are that's the way it is. But you're so scared of something. And get this, Chris. They cut their way out of the tent. Let's just agree. All right. Since we can't agree on anything else, since we obviously can't agree on anything else yet, maybe we'll come up with something during the show. Let's just agree. Something scared them out of the tent, right? They cut their way out. The only way you would cut, but, but the entrance is right. I guess you would have a quick way to cut. Cutting your way out would be quicker than the entrance. Most likely because tents like that, just to explain to you the boring logistics of it, would have at least, a mountain tent like that would have at least, I would guess, two different zippers in the front. You would have like a zipper screen and then a zipper on the outside. So if you slept with the blade right beside you, the fastest thing would probably be to reach up, slice your way out. Okay, why leave the tent, though? And why, when you're an experienced, again, keep in mind, experienced hikers... Why leave the tent in your underwear, which you know is a death sentence? You are scared to death. Explain that. Keep coming back to military. Who poked out the chick's eyes? Why would the military do that? These are Russians. Russians might do that to someone else. I could do that to them. Um, well, I take that back. They would do terrible things to their own people, but... I'm lost. I mean, people have, uh, relatively sane people have read about this incident. If you want to look it up yourself, I highly, highly recommend it. It's called the Dyatlov Pass Incident, D-Y-A-T-L-O-V. It makes the story I just told you so much better because you get the diaries. You can read them their diaries their journals you can see pictures of them and they're just young healthy i mean i don't want to call them kids cuz it makes me sound old but they're just young healthy adults smiling laughing you can see a picture of them in a line on their cross country skis in their winter gear the last picture they they that was taken of them as they took off on their journey it's just it makes it creepier when you can put a face to it and you see them hugging and laughing and smiling and people have said aliens, and normally I laugh at the alien people. Remember that one great caller we had, Chris? We got to get her to call back in, who swore straight-faced that she had been abducted by aliens. And she explained, and I asked her to break it down, all the probing and everything else and what they looked like. And, I mean, you would you'd probably be not very shocked to realize that most of them look just like they look in the movies. And she came up with that. But, anyway. So There. How's that for 45 minutes of being done with coronavirus stuff? Oh, gosh. That freaking reminds me. Uh, I have more. I feel like I've had this saga of home maintenance stuff. No, no. Listen, listen. I now have a busted piece of tile that I have to repair or replace. Don't just throw your hands up like it's nothing. I don't have any idea how to replace a busted piece of tile. Can I repair it, Chris? Uh, You can repair it? No, hold on. Let me reframe this. I know you can repair it, idiot. Can I repair it? Oh, right. Did I tell you what happened? I forgot to tell you before the show. All right, here's what happened. Now, there's a bit of a backstory to this. Everybody knows whenever you buy the old lady a gift of some kind, especially once you've been married for a while, everybody knows that you you might get heck for it right off the bat if it sucks. And that's just life. You're a dude. Don't be a chick about it. If she laughs in your face, it's really not the end of the world. Fellas, you young guys, you'll learn to just brush all that stuff off as you go along. It's not the end of the world. I'm a bad gift giver. I've blown it a thousand times. However, women are built differently. If the if the wife gives you something that sucks, at least initially, you must at least pretend to like it. You have to pretend to enjoy it. And I am, in her defense, notoriously, notoriously difficult to shop for. There are a couple reasons for that. One, I do not have any hobbies. I do not, and I know what you're thinking. Oh, yes, you do. It's just weird. No, I don't have anything. It's actually a source of frustration for my family. It was for my parents growing up. It is for the wife and kids now. There's nothing outside of work and hanging out with them that I really enjoy doing. I can golf. I have fun with it. I'm not obsessed with it. I enjoy fishing. I'm not obsessed with it. I enjoy a good hike. Not in the Ural Mountains, mind you, but I enjoy a good hike. Just not obsessed with it. I just don't have things I have a passion for, and that's part of being a disassociated sociopath. I do not have something. If you told me I had uh, the rest of the week off, and it's not because I'm some some great worker, I just want to work 90 hours a day, I would actually be bummed. I, uh, no, I would like to actually come do my show. What else am I supposed to do? Uh, do your hobby. I don't have one. So that makes it very difficult to buy me gifts. See, I'm not into wood whittling. So I don't need a little, what? That's that's a word, isn't it, Chris? Whittling? It's a word. It's not a bad word, is it? It's a family show. All right, hang on. I'll continue to explain. Give me a second.
4: Miss something? There's a pop Get it on demand wherever podcasts are found. The Jesse Kelly Show.
1: I am very difficult to shop for. Again, I'm setting all this up in defense. Of the old ball and chain, I'm difficult to shop for because I don't have hobbies. And I'm a minimalist. And when I say a minimalist, I really mean that. I just genuinely do not like a lot of even what I like. I have, the average person owns 25 t-shirts. I own probably six. I find the ones that I think are comfortable as soon as something isn't comfortable or doesn't fit me right, and lots of times they don't because I'm so long, I just chuck it right in the trash. When I had to move down to the Houston area before the wife and kids could move down, I came down here, I was selling RVs, and they opened a new store, and I was, I had to come down before them because the kids had to finish school. So I moved into our house by myself for like two months. You know what I moved in? A bed, a recliner, and a television. And that's the extent of what I moved in. You, you can say that's immature, it's like a bachelor. That's what I moved in. Nothing on the walls. No extra, you know, frills. That's what I needed. I was working. I would come home, fire up a documentary on Netflix for an hour, go to sleep, wake up, go back to work. You can say that's really sad, and you know what? It probably is, but it's fine. That's how I live my life. All that said, at one point, she got me this desk thing is the best way I can describe this. It is heavy. And this is going to come into play here in a little while. Extremely heavy. And I mean extremely heavy. I bet you this thing weighs 10, 15 pounds as far as a desk thing. And it's a holder for a pen or two and business cards. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've seen some version of this on every desk in the history of mankind. Only this one was specially made. So picture this. a flat piece of iron or something. And it is a heavy piece of metal sitting on a desk and there's a little slot for the business cards and there's a little slot for the pen. Actually, there's only about room for one pen in there, making it also efficient and ugly. And then down to the other end of the thing, there is a spring coming out of it, a heavy, heavy duty spring pointing straight up. And on top of this heavy duty spring, is a hammer, a claw hammer. And you can, and people do, grab the claw hammer as soon as you see it and smash it down. And the claw hammer springs back up. And then if you're enjoying yourself or you're a child or an annoying human being, you do it again. And again. Again. And again, yes, it is a desk thing that holds business cards and pens with an annoying component to it, and it's heavy. And as you can imagine, I was in sales at the time, selling RVs. So part of my job was to bring people into my office, including their children, and what did everybody do? Yeah. Yeah. After this thing had been the bane of my existence for three or four years, we find out we're going to be moving. This is the Dallas area to Houston area move. So, I understand what I'm about to tell you is going to make me sound like a bad person. But let me clarify something. I am a bad person. And I have never pretended to be otherwise. And I will never pretend to be otherwise. I understand that there are a million other radio hosts in the country. And so many of them, and I know them, they're my friends, are genuinely wonderful people. They are good people. That is not me. I am not. So I understand that. Now, we're getting ready to move, and I have this contraption that I've hated for a long time, but a gift from the wife on my desk. And I should, I should mention... I am part of the first wave. You see several parts of this office in the Dallas area are coming down to the Houston area. Because I'm the sales manager, I'm part of the first wave. I have to get everything set up. I'm packing up my desk, putting in some sales awards, Chris. No, not to brag or anything, but had some awards on the wall. Throwing in your highlighters, your pens, your business cards, yada, yada, yada. Again, I'm a minimalist, so I don't have a ton to pack on my desk. This is the last time as I'm about to say goodbye to the office and I look over and I see this hammer business card pen contraption on the desk. And it's moments like this. We all have these moments in our lives. It's moments like this that will determine the kind of person you're going to be. You can look at that desk, at that business card holder that your wife bought you out of her creativity and you can say to yourself, you know what? I'm taking that with me because it's the right thing to do. Or if you're like me, you can look at that business card holder and say, that freaking thing is staying here. I'm finally free. And you can turn around and walk away which I did, only it followed me. I understand that what I did was wrong, leaving it there. I do. But remember, I'm a minimalist, and so I don't like clutter. I don't like extra things. I'm the guy who chucks out the old, uncomfortable t-shirts. And what is right and wrong when it comes to a gift from the missus? How long am I obligated to keep it? They did a Seinfeld episode on this one time about cards. How long do you keep the card? I will tell you, you keep your cards longer than I keep my cards. Even if my cards are from my kids or my wife or like my, my mom, I'll open up my card at Christmas time. I will read it. I will walk right over to the trash can and drop it in. And people are horrified by that as if them keeping it an extra 24 hours somehow makes them a better person. How long am I obligated to keep the card I already read? I'm not going to read it again. I read it once. So what's the obligation for a gift? Three years, you say, Chris? See, that's not bad. And I crossed that three-year threshold with this gift. I was at four or five. So, look, I made an executive decision. The gift stayed. Only it didn't really stay.
4: Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show.
1: Now I get down to Houston, I am free of this desk leech. Doing my thing down here. Remember, I was the first wave. And I worked with this guy named Cliff. Wonderful, wonderful human being. Sadly, a very kind and conscientious human being. Cliff is in the second wave. It's down about a month or two after I'm there. Walks into my office and says, Hey, man. You forgot this thing your wife gave you. Here, I brought it down for you, as earnest as he could possibly be. And I just, honestly, I couldn't even, I couldn't even muster myself to say thank you. I just stared in disbelief as he set this thing on my desk again, as it made the trek from Dallas. I couldn't, I couldn't believe this. Now, fast forward to last night. Because I'm not even going to bother after I quit my RV sales job a couple years ago because I'm an insane person to try media, which worked out all right, but still. I'm not going to bother trying to leave it in the office again, mainly because Cliff's still there and I don't want to have to explain to Cliff that I want it gone. So I just take it home. I bite the bullet. I assume I'm never going to be rid of this thing. It's sitting on the desk in my office at the house, bringing me to last night where I had to do this podcast. I won't go into it right now. Look, the bottom line is I'm super famous. And I had to do a podcast last night. Well, my kids are being educated at the home right now. As everybody's freaking kids are. Because we shut down America because of a virus. I'm not going to go into that right now. i not going off again. I get to my desk to do my podcast. And, of course, my desk is covered in social studies books and math books and everything else where one of my children have invaded the office desk. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Once you have kids, you have nothing anymore that's your own. Nothing. So I have to move some things around the desk, and, of course, wouldn't you know it, This 9,000 pound bane of my existence business card holder hammer thing falls off the end of the desk as I'm moving things around and smashes a piece of my tile on the floor. Not only has this thing followed me around my entire life, I mean, I might as well attach it to my rear end at this point in time. It's now breaking Things that are going to cost me time and money. So when I said I'm still having home maintenance things, that's what I meant. Now, on to the task at hand. Fauci yesterday. Trump gave this big press conference yesterday. Big press conference. And some lady from CBS was there trashing Trump. And they're all going after Trump. And everybody knows what's going on right now, right? Everybody. The media is going to try to use what's going on right now to take down Trump. They are not in any way in this to inform anybody about anything. They are out to get Trump. That's why all these press conferences go this way. Well, why didn't you do this before? Why didn't you do this now? What did you do? Why are you opening the economy when people are going to die? What are you? What's wrong with you? And Look, I have no problem with reporters asking questions. But the reason media popularity has actually tanked below what it was beforehand, before this virus even came out, is because during a crisis, people don't want to hear that. They will excuse that during other times. But when people are dying and 20 million Americans are on the unemployment rolls, nobody wants to see your, oh, I got Trump today, press conference. And now... They're seriously going after Fauci as well, trying to drive a wedge, obviously trying to drive a wedge in between him and Trump. I'm going to let you listen to this one exchange, and then I'm going to tell you a bit of information that's going to help you your entire life. Listen to this.
4: The travel restriction is separate. That was whether or not we wanted to go into a mitigation stage of 15 days of mitigation. The travel was another recommendation. When we went in and said, we probably should be doing that, and the answer was yes. And then another time was, we should do it with Europe, and the answer was yes. And the next time, we should do it with the UK, and the answer was yes. In
5: this interview, so, you said there was pushback.
4: Yeah. Where did
1: that pushback come no, from?
4: No, it wasn't, that was the wrong choice of words. You know what it was, when people discuss... Not necessarily in front of the president. When people discuss, they say, well, you know, this is going to have maybe a harmful effect on this or on that. So it was a poor choice of words. There wasn't anybody saying, no, you shouldn't do that.
5: Are you doing this voluntarily? Or did no, the president I'm doing, doing it. I,
4: everything I do is voluntarily. Please don't even imply that.
1: We had to do pre-marriage counseling. Before we got married, we were going to a church in Tucson. Part of their deal was, it's the same story for you probably, part of their deal, well, I don't know whether a synagogue does that. You people do that, Chris? Whatever. Either way, before they would marry you, they would want you to do some pre-marriage counseling. It was nothing too intense. It was actually pretty laid back. Pastor and his wife want to sit down with you and your upcoming wife, at least the first one. And they want to sit down and they want to go over, yeah. Oh, this is you know what the Bible says about this. These are lessons we learned from this, these are this. And it was actually really nice. But they gave us one piece of advice that was the most valuable piece of advice, advice, or at least one of them I've ever had in my entire life. App applicable to friends, business, marriage, politics, everything. And what they said was. Do not put your spouse in a bad light to anybody. And this is what it meant. Because we all make this mistake, right? It's easy. It's tempting to make this mistake. Let's go out say I go home tonight and wife's in a bad mood. We get in a big fight. She's nagging or something like that. Who knows? You know, the other things that happen during the course of a marriage. I decide to get up the next morning. I'm going to go out play a little golf with the fellas. What are you tempted to do? Oh, gosh, I had to get out of the house last night. The wife would not stop nagging at me. Gosh, it's in. En- now you've just made her look like crap in front of your buddies. Now you've just allowed yourself that outlet to take things outside of the home. You have opened up that outlet to take your arguments outside. The same thing for women. forget to take out the trash, forget to do something instead of coming to me, having a fight about it or just keeping it to herself, calls her mother or her sister or one of her friends. Ugh, I'm so mad right now. He's freaking lazy. He wouldn't even take the trash. Just opened up an outlet. Now I look like crap in front of your sister, friend, mother. Now you've allowed yourself that little vent time to go complain to your friends about, he's such a jerk, you wouldn't believe what he said to me. And what it does over time is it erodes things. It allows you to vent elsewhere, and it makes who you're married to look like crap in front of other people, and they don't even know it. Totally unfair. Same thing applies in a business environment. If I have a problem with producer Chris... Beyond the fact he doesn't believe in the New Testament, I go to producer Chris. I don't go to the big bosses. I don't go to the sponsors. I don't even go home and complain to my wife about it. If I have an issue with producer Chris, I talk to producer Chris about it and he talks to me about it and we work it out. Because there shouldn't be a different outlet, you address the problem you have. You have an issue with one of your buddies. Had one too many beers, left his cans out in your house, ticked you off. Do you tell your buddy about it, or do you complain to all your other buddies about it? What President Trump is doing with Dr. Fauci is a tremendous, tremendous mistake. And there is a huge problem coming. Mark my words, and I'll tell you what that problem is. Hang on.
4: Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yes. Yes, he does. The Jesse Kelly Show.
1: your problems in house Keep your marriage problems in house, keep your business problems in house, keep your political problems in house. When it comes to sports, keep your team problems in your house. So many people need this lesson today. I have no issue at the beginning of this pandemic allowing Dr. Fauci on every cable news network. He was on, you know, things that weren't politically related, like barstool sports, getting the word out, do this, don't do that. I have no issue with it. We have shifted into a time where the media is now, I mean, it's not like they ever took a break, but now they are extremely openly hostile and quite obviously to anybody who is paying attention they are trying to make Trump look terrible and trying to drive a wedge in between Fauci and Trump. They are. They are not having Dr. Fauci on the cable news shows at night to inform the public. That's why every question is angled in such a way so they can get an answer like the one they just got. Oh, what do you mean you got pushback? Was it Trump? Was it Trump that didn't want to close things out? Like it was Trump, wasn't it? I bet it was Trump. You would. they're going to succeed. If you continue to let Dr. Fauci take his problems outside of the house, the media is going to succeed. I'm not even blaming him. It's what they do. They're professionals at it. They've been doing it for years. If Donald Trump continues to let Dr. Fauci do these media tours. This is going to end one of two ways, with Fauci resigning or Donald Trump firing him. And then Dr. Fauci writes his book, which might be inevitable anyway, which will contain enough anti-Trump stuff in it to guarantee sales. And then he'll be on the media book tour for six months. We all have seen a version of this story before, during the Donald Trump presidency, Fauci is going to be no different, and I'm not even bad-mouthing the guy. When you know, not that you think, when you know for a fact the media wants to make Trump look bad and they want to drive a wedge between Trump and Fauci, why are you hanging Fauci out there? Why? Why? You're asking for trouble. You are opening up that pipeline the same way I would golfing with my buddies, complaining about the wife. You're opening up that line of communication for trouble. It is time to rein him in. It's time to stop this nonsense. Did you hear Tucker Carlson the other night go off on the media? Did you? He went off on it and he was totally right. He's totally right. Well, today's presidential press briefing, the president was asked, why did you downplay the coronavirus initially? And he
2: responded by a playing back clip showing that the press did the same. Now, CNN has a tenuous claim on being a news outlet in the best of times. But by the end of today's briefing,
1: they were like an Oberlin women's studies professor posting screeds on Facebook. <laughs> CNN's Skyron's all day in between. Angry Trump turns briefing into propaganda session. And Trump uses task force briefing to try and rewrite history and coronavirus response. (laughs) Those are totally real, by the way. They were real. They're openly hostile. And it doesn't do any good to sit around crying about it right now. But you do have to take appropriate action. And you know what's coming next, right? If you don't, allow me to preview it for you. Donald Trump knows he has to open the economy again. He knows this virus was not nearly as bad as people told him it was going to be. The millions are going to die was always absurd and now clearly looks extremely absurd. He knows he cannot afford to launch the country into a Great Depression, and we are heading there rapidly. So he knows he needs to open up the economy again. He knows he needs to open it up in a way to try to mitigate the press assault that's coming. Because here's what's coming. The second, the second he suggests easing up any of these restrictions, you will see a full court media press like you have never seen before focusing on each and every individual coronavirus death from that point on each and every time each death will be focused on. They will tell the story. It'll be a 60 minute special. It's a special on this. Oh, can you believe Donald Trump's restrictions when people are still dying? Ah. It's coming. You have got to anticipate that and get out ahead of it, and I have to tell you what we're doing to get out ahead of it. I don't like it. Headline, Trump says decision coming shortly on reopening the economy as a task force is formed. Now, I certainly didn't come on this show to insult anybody in particular, but let me ask you something, Chris. What has been my major issue with the response, national, state, and local response to the coronavirus thing? What has been the issue? The disconnect. The disconnect. You see, if you're in Washington, D.C., or New York, and you're a politician, you're a policymaker. Haven't missed a paycheck. Or you're a political pundit. Maybe you're a writer. Maybe you go on TV. Haven't missed a paycheck. You're just doing stuff from home. You see this thing much, much, much differently than the small businesses across the United States of America that are being wiped out. That's not even necessarily an insult, although I think a lot more effort needs to be made in connecting those two areas, you have it's one thing to be in the bubble. We're all in some kind of a bubble, inevitably. You are, I am, but you have to realize you're in a bubble and attempt to break out of it, attempt to hear other things. That's why I have on guests I disagree with. That's why I have friends in all walks of life. I want to hear other points of view. I want to know what it's like outside of my bubble. What are people saying to me? And so, if you're going to put together a Reopening the Economy Task Force, perhaps it would be wise to reach outside of the D.C., New York, super wealthy bubble and grab some people who are just normal, everyday people, business owners, business workers. Would you like to know who's about to be on the Small Business Council? On my life, I'm not making this up. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, Com- Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, Agriculture Secretary Senator Perdue, Transportation Secretary Secretary Elaine Chao, Energy Secretary Dan Bro- on, and on and on and on and on we go. Oh, we even threw in Larry Kudlow, Peter Navarro, Jared Kushner, and Ivanka Trump. We do not have on this list... To my knowledge, a single person worth less than a million dollars most or most most are worth several times that. We do not have on this list a single person who currently resides outside of the D.C. New York City media bubble. I'm thrilled Trump is reopening the economy. I'm mortified by the absolute swamp creatures we've chosen to be on the council to do so. Yes, we need some of these people on that list, but we need an outside-the-bubble voice. These are not outside-the-bubble voices. This defines inside the bubble. This tone-deaf response has... Ah, maddening. Joining us now, poet, attorney, and writer. He's got a great piece in National Review about the handshake, Tyler Grant. Tyler, first of all, what's what's wrong with the handshake? What are you talking about?
6: Yeah, so uh, hey, good to be back with you. I, uh, I'd written a piece, Got thinking about it after Trump and Dr. Fauci had been doing pressers where they basically kept repeating the fact that You know, I I wasn't a handshaker before I was a politician, and now I've had a handshake, and now people are telling me not to shake hands anymore, and maybe that's a good thing, and maybe the handshake is is dead, and Dr. Fauci said, you know, I don't think that we'll ever shake hands again. So I got thinking about it. I was in Grand Central right before, you know, everything went to just absolute chaos, and I ran into the managing or the hiring partner at my previous law firm. And he kind of was, he, we kind of did this whole little dance thing. Like, I guess we're not supposed to shake hands and like bump elbows. And I got thinking about this idea for National Review and sent it to him. I actually saw yesterday Steve Forbes retweeted it out. So that was kind of cool to see. But, uh, yeah, I think we're entering a time where people are not going to be eager to, you know, shake hands or touch different things. And some of that's going to be good and hygienic. And other parts of it, you know, we, we do lose that, that human element of shaking hands that I think we're going to be looking back on and it might be something that we're going to miss and think about.
1: Do you think it's gone really for good, or is this just a time period where people are going to be hesitant about it, but but they're going to bring it back? Because it's so hard to change cultural norms. And I'll tell you, man, I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous. I think it's extremely important. In fact, you can tell a lot about a man by a handshake. If he's got one of those limp-wristed dead fish handshakes, it tells you a lot about him.
6: 100 percent. You know, I think so. I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, you and know, I've talked about this before about what sort of you know economic, sociological, cultural realignment that is going to occur after this. And I think that there's going to be a lot. I think that people moving business remotely, I think, is going to be something that becomes permanent for a lot of jobs. I think the ideas, just whole company concepts like we work. That that's just going to go away. No one's going to want to do that anymore. No one's going to want to participate in a business that's like that. I think you're going to see a lot where there, there are going to be different rules for elites than there are for the regular uh, regular folks. All these people that were able to shield themselves behind these gates and walls out on Long Island or in L.A. or whatever. I mean, their you know, quarantine impact has been much, much less than the average person who's had to make some serious sacrifices, whether that was jobs income, you know, food choices, babysitting choices, trying to keep their kids, you know, educated. You know, I mean, these guys phoning in private tutors and all this kind of stuff. I mean, those, those are some realignments that are going to actually have long-term impact. And I, and I think that we, what we will see is until until we do have a vaccine and people feel confident that that vaccine is, is working and effective, I would be shocked if some of these elites – ever come back into New York City, for example, to you know, pursue their jobs or whatever. Anybody that's over 50, for sure, why, why would they risk it? They have millions and millions of dollars They can stay out in other various you know, locations and not have to, to risk any type of disease while the rest of us will have to go back to work to, to make the economy function again after it's been at a dead stop and kind of going in reverse for a while.
1: Tyler, you've always been all over the China angle of really uh, everything. A long time before this virus ever hit, you and I were on the radio talking about China. It's just one of those things you focus on, and I'm glad you do. I am worried, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're about to tell me I'm wrong. I am extremely worried that we get through this and everything goes back to the way it was, that companies can't say no to that cheap Chinese slave labor that countries like ours in Europe and around the world, they can't say no to cheap Chinese goods, and we all go back to, in a roundabout way, funding the, our enemy and somebody who hurts us routinely on purpose. Am I crazy?
6: So I think that it's actually and, and it, it's an interesting question on a couple of different levels. The first is which I, I, you've seen other countries that recognize that they don't have this weird, social justice warrior needing to not be offensive kind of nonsense where, you know, we we had a whole several news cycles about the Wuhan virus versus the Chinese virus versus the coronavirus. I mean, it's ridiculous. Other countries did not have that debate. Japan spent a ton of money to try to get some of its uh, Japanese manufacturers back to Japan versus being in China because they recognize, right. And they recognize the coupling that existed is is extremely problematic from a national security perspective. So I think in two different levels, if, if Trump wins, there will 100% be repercussions for this that destroy the economy. If Biden wins and established Democrats win, I think that you'll see some sort of soft you know, resurgence of Chinese manufacturing and, and U.S. recoupling from all of the, the relationship and decoupling that's taken place over the Trump administration from the trade war. I think in the interest of national security, we would be absolutely insane not to take
2: extreme
6: measures. Already, we should have been doing this in the first place. I mean, if you look at their relationship with Africa, if you look at their relationship with the Belt and Road Initiative, the things the things that the Chinese do in order to leverage their you know economic enemies are insane. I mean, they, you, there's there's cables that have been released over the this week that they've recognized that the U.S. having an aircraft carrier down basically because of the coronavirus has allowed them to kind of show their teeth a little bit in the South China Sea. I mean, these aren't these aren't buddies like. Every every relationship that they had since the coronavirus, they've tried to exploit and create longer term economic benefit from. What, but what is what is
1: this road initiative you talked about? What is this? Explain this to people.
6: Yeah, so the Bone Road Initiative is an idea that was launched by Xi Jinping and kind of his his phase three. I forget exactly what he calls it, but it's it's basically a an infrastructural revolution where he wants to make supply chains that all roads lead back to China basically kind of a a Middle Kingdom style idea because, you know, Xi Jinping views himself as a, you know, he is, he is the authoritarian for life in China and he views himself as being one of the great leaders of of Chinese history. That's going to lead them into this like Chinese centric um, century going forward. So the Belt and Road Initiative is sort of a multifaceted approach from an infrastructure perspective where they build roads, bridges, um, supply lines, maritime relationships, ports, all across the world, with exclusive relationships with the Chinese. So, what they've done in Africa is they've created all these different huge roads, bulldozed through like Mozambique, parts of sub-Saharan Africa, to get different resources that exclusively serve the Chinese. And they get the, you know, they send Chinese labor down there. They get the resources. They send it to China. They produce all the different materials and and things that they sell to the world. Same thing port-wise. I mean, you saw there's there's a whole litigation going on right now from. For like a Sri Lanka port, where they created a highly leveraged situation in order to seize a Sri Lankan port, and that's kind of battling a little bit right now because they want to essentially have just little holes over all the different you know parts of the world so that they can have those relationships, and it furthers their economy faster than the rest of the world.
1: What is what's the end goal? As if Trump gets these four more years, and you said he can hurt them what can he actually do to them separate from congress cuz i'm worried about obviously the same thing everyone else is worried about roadblocks being thrown up there what can he do
2: yeah i
6: mean i think it's i think the the argument is is like what we've talked about in our prior calls which is the fact that you have to create a compelling reason for american companies to realize that investing in the united states is ultimately going to be long-term beneficial number one and number two that creating U.S.-based companies where we're not um, offshoring all of our resources, our manufacturing capabilities, all of our jobs, but that's a national security problem that American companies can solve by simply just saying no to these ridiculous demands. Yeah. And I think the easiest example is the NBA when they say, "Oh, hey, you know, don't don't criticize the you know our our treatment of Hong Kong," and the NBA just said, "Nope."
1: We're, you know,
6: we won't say anything. We're just going to zip it on up. No, because we don't want to lose it. I mean, what are they going to do?
1: Tyler Grant, attorney, go read his handshake article. It's outstanding at National Review. Tyler, I appreciate you giving us some wisdom today, my man. All right, thanks, See ya. Be good. That was smart stuff, Chris. Not just for me for once, either.
4: Listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. You're welcome.
1: I need to clarify a couple things. Obviously, everybody heard my Thailand dysentor- dysentery story the other day. So, you have a brief window into my thinking. Now, before you send me your emails, and you're welcome to email me about anything always, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. It's jesse at Again, I get so many. I probably will not be able to respond. If you send it, I will read it. I read every email. You can ask producer Chris. He gives me every single one of them. I read every email. I check them all out. Jesse at jessikellyshow.com. So again, don't be writing me, though, and calling me a big girl because I'm not this huge germaphobe. I'm not walking around right now with a mask on and gloves in a bodysuit. However, because... So many people out there, not you, mind you, but so many people out there are disgusting savages. I do not like to use public restrooms. Now, I'm not talking about the urinal. I'm a dude. It's no big deal. I go use the urinal. I wash my hands with soap. I then leave the bathroom. I am talking about the other thing you have to do in the bathroom. Not the most comfortable subject, Chris, but we're an open book on this this show, are we not? And I do not like doing it in public. It's not something I won't do. It's something I do not like doing. I have some certain techniques I use. When I say techniques, I mean I have certain locations that are almost always clean that it should an emergency arise. I will go to these locations. I've elaborated on the show before about that. Am I going to tell you? No, because I think I'm worried you're going to ruin those too. So I'm not telling you about it. I'm keeping that to myself. Maybe one day I'll divulge that information. It ain't going to be today. But when I'm at work, I like to go to the other floors. You see, we are in this skyscraper here. The iHeart Studios in this absolute skyscraper. And you have to have a key to get to various floors in the building. So if you work on the third floor, you don't necessarily get access to the seventh floor or the 20th floor, whatever it may be. Somebody, by the grace of God, screwed up when they programmed my key, and it gave me access to all the floors of the building. I am not supposed to have access to all the floors of the building. I do have access to all the floors of the building, and guess what? There are floors with virtually nobody on them, and the bathrooms are sparkling, absolutely sparkling. So if nature chooses to call while I'm here at work, I have options, or I should say I had options, and it was so glorious. I won't tell anybody what the floors are. I won't tell anybody how I get up there, but everybody else has to... Hump on down to the hall to the disgusting, you know, radio studio. And these radio people are such foul beasts. I realize it's the same in a lot of offices, but someone will throw out some five-day-old donuts in the kitchen and they're gone in five seconds. The bathroom's filthy. It's just everything's filthy and gross. So I had my special floors where I could go up should the need arise. Because of this freaking coronavirus thing, they have cut off my floors, Chris. I walked in yesterday and I do the little beep, beep thing with my ticket, with my uh, ticket, with my key. It's denying me. They have denied me access to my other floors. And the question is, obviously, I know this is coronavirus related. I'm sure the one or two companies on those floors have shut down. So they just locked down the floor. When they turn them back on, is my key going to give me access again to those floors or did they discover me? And cut me off. Because you know they track that stuff. You know they track who's going where. Because each key has this electronic symbol on it. An electronic label. Whenever I get in the elevator and swipe a key, they know. And so, somebody out there has too much time on his hands. I'll tell you what happened. And he's going through the various security protocols of the building. And all of a sudden, he sees Jesse Kelly, radio host... What in the world is he doing for 45 minutes at a time on the 15th floor? What, Chris? What, do you guys rush? I don't rush. That's why I won't go during the show. I'm not going during the break. If I go, I'm hunkering down for a while. I'm going to get some prep work done. I'm I'm hanging out for a bit. So either way, I've lost access to those other floors, which caused me to think about Obviously, not the worst bathroom experience I've ever had, but one of the worst bathroom experiences I've ever had. Everybody heard the worst one. Everybody heard the Thailand dysentery story. I'm not going to relive that right now because I'd like to eat again today. But I had one just as bad in Denver's airport. Now, I'm actually not ripping on Denver or Denver's airport. I love Denver. If you've never been, highly recommend it. It's like this gorgeous city surrounded by mountains, and it's pretty clean. And it's got, look, like almost all beautiful places, it's gotten overrun by leftists now who are just crapping all over the place. But Denver's a sweet place. And for being a rocky mountain city, the weather's actually pretty balmy. It's not bad there. Like, Denver's just awesome. And I even like their airport. Why? Because every airport is only as good as its food options. However, there at least was a fatal flaw with the Denver airport. Hang on.
2: You know, a lot of people go to college for seven years. I know. They're called doctors.
4: This is the Jesse Kelly Show.
1: I don't like public restrooms. Everyone knows this. I just elaborated on that. And there is probably, I don't know if you could pick a worse one besides maybe a bar or something, Chris, that would be more disgusting than an airport restroom. And this is not coronavirus related. This is, it's not that. I mean, I'm sure that's an added concern right now. I also don't want to go poop and then drown in my lung fluid. That doesn't sound like any fun at all, but air force, air Air force, airport bathrooms, just the amount of people going through there. And you know what it is, even in your office bathroom, it doesn't get that bad because at least there's some connection. You know, I'm not going to have some dirt ball go in there and just, just trash the place. Because he knows he's got to go back there at some point in time that day. Most likely. That's his, It's his. He has some relation to it. The airport bathroom is extra disgusting because you're going to touch that stall and you're very likely never going to touch it again. You probably won't ever enter that bathroom door again. And when people have that kind of freedom to do whatever they want, things go south quickly. Look at Vegas. Which brings me to the Denver bathroom. Hang on.
4: Jesse Kelly. This is The Jesse Kelly Show.
1: I roll into the Denver men's room, and as you know, it was a requirement. I had to go. I sit down at the throne, and it happens to be one of the worst Things ever invented in the history of mankind. What is that thing? The motion sensor toilet to pair with the motion sensor hands-free faucets. Only this motion sensor toilet had two gigantic flaws. Keep in mind, and this is going to play a part in our story. I am grossed out. Just sitting there, I'm grossed out. Public restroom, airport, this it's foul. Everything's gross. So knowing that, I mean, I'm, I'm even doing that thing. This is kind of embarrassing. I sound like a germaphobe freak. I'm even doing that thing where I don't breathe through my nose, Chris. You know what I'm talking about, where you only breathe? What? Where you kind of, you don't plug your nose with your, you don't know what I'm talking about? You don't plug your nose with your hands. You just breathe through your mouth. Anyway. Um... So I get seated, and there's a flaw, two flaws with the toilet. One, it's one of those toilets, and this just grosses you out even more for thinking about all your surroundings in there. One, the flush is apparently a little bit too powerful, and the flush pushes whatever the water inside of the toilet, it splatters out of the toilet. That's flaw number one, which maybe you could live with unless it was paired with flaw number two, any motion on this toilet. It's it's got some kind of malfunction in this one, not where you stand up or sit down, any motion whatsoever, any motion. It flushes. Now, I want you to picture this situation as it was. I am seated on this toilet. I'm grossed out. I obviously, because I'm not Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible hanging down from the ceiling, I have to move at some point. The toilet, boom, flushes. It's now splattering me. I'm now borderline dry heaving in the toilet. I can't figure out what happened the first time. I'm almost wondering if I hit a button or something. What I didn't do anything. I just kind of turned a little bit, and then I turn again, and it happens again, and I figure out, oh, no, this is going to flush and splatter me every single time I move, only without going into too much detail here. I realize some of you are eating breakfast, lunch, or dinner, I obviously have to move to do some things. I can't remain motionless forever on the toilet. And so I try, first of all, I try, and this probably was a mistake initially. It was probably bad thinking. I try to move super fast, so maybe it won't pick it up. I try to do that thing. Quick reflexes. I just reach to the right really fast. That does not work at all. I then decide, okay, I've got plenty of time before my flight. Keep in mind, I'm so grossed out now. It's not even hot in there, but I'm sweating. Now I have sweat beating up on my forehead. I'm sweating. And then I decide, okay, what if I just go super slow? Boom. Picks up on that too. Long story short, what I had to do was go ahead, bite the bullet on the flush, and then try to get all your motion out of the way in between while the flush was going on before a new one could start. I almost wanted to cry as I left that bathroom. I have never been that just emotionally broken in my entire life. It's not funny, Chris. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. You know what? We're going to go back to talking about politics. I can't do this anymore. I'm reliving it now. And now I'm going to have PTSD. New data shows us companies are definitely leaving China. This is from Forbes.com. U S companies are leaving China. Thanks to the trade war. They'll leave even more. Thanks to the pandemic. Global manufacturing consulting firm Kearney released its seventh annual reshoring index on Tuesday, showing what it called a dramatic reversal of a five-year trend as domestic U.S. manufacturing in 2019 commanded a significantly greater share versus 14 Asian exporters tracked in the study. Manufacturing imports, imports from China were hardest hit. Last year, this is before coronavirus, people. Last year saw companies actively rethinking their supply chain, either convincing their Chinese partners to relocate to Southeast Asia to avoid tariffs or by opting out of sourcing from China altogether. What this actually means in the long run, I'm extremely hopeful for it. I'll tell you that because like you heard me say to Tyler earlier, I'm skeptical we're going to be able to do it. I'm skeptical we're going to be able to do what needs to be done to get out of China. And look, here's something nobody wants to talk about. Here's an angle to this nobody wants to talk about, but it's 100% true. And you better find a way to deal with it. And I understand what I'm about to say is going to make a lot of you mad. We are never, ever, 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 ever going to keep enough companies out of China and bring enough manufacturing back here to be like we used to be when we have the labor laws that we have in the United States of America? I I understand that sucks. I understand I have a big working man following, a big union following. I get that. I'm not ripping on your union. But I'm telling you, if I am Jesse's steel company and I have to procure the materials and I have to have a factory and I have to, you know, churn out some steel, I have just like every other company in the world, I have a profit loss sheet. And when my profit loss sheet, it's going on my profit loss sheet, it is going to break down for me the various costs. And revenues that are coming in and going out of my business. And every single profit loss sheet to a man has a labor cost on there. And I will tell you, most of the time, most of the time, that is the number that sticks out at you. Right in your face. I am not saying you don't deserve an honest day's wage for an honest day's work. What I am saying is, if I'm Jesse's Steel Company, and I'm staring at my profit loss sheet... And my labor costs are 100,000 here in America, or I can move my factory to China and my labor costs become 10,000. That is, well, let's just be honest. That's inevitable, is what it is. Our environmental laws, our labor laws, our taxes, our regulations, have driven up the cost of doing business here in America. And we don't like to talk about that. One, because it sounds anti-working man, which everybody knows I'm not. And two, because it's harder to wrap your arms around. It's not sexy, right? It's not sexy to talk about taxes and regulations and labor laws. And I don't do a lot of that. And I won't do a lot of it because I don't want your eyes to glaze over. But it's just the simple fact of the matter. If labor costs, two, three, four five six, seven eight nine, ten times more here than it does somewhere else. Well, I have an obligation to my country but I have an obligation to my business and my shareholders too. Maybe we'll address that problem one of these days.
4: This is The Jesse Kelly Show.
1: More than half of all of Earth's ocean life died off 444 million years ago because it ran out of oxygen, a study shows. Well, first of all, they have no freaking idea. (laughs) Just stop making up random stuff. They have no freaking idea at all. Second of all, how is that a bad thing? Have you seen the absolutely horrifying creatures in our ocean, the ones that are still there now. You know, uh, sperm whales, grow up, Chris. Sperm whales, they hunt these giant squids. Do you know how big giant squids get? They're like as big as the the, the squirm whales, the the sperm whales. And sperm whales will suck in this gigantic bit of oxygen and they will swim down into the depths of the ocean and have these massive brawls with giant squids like something out of a freaking Godzilla movie. I love the ocean. I enjoy it. I swim in it. I dive off boats into it. I snorkel. I scuba dive. I body surf. However, it is absolutely horrifying. It is absolutely horrifying. That's part of the reason I love it. I have to tell you, it's part of the reason I love it. What, Chris? They're thirty-three feet long. Gosh, that is horrifying. And that's like that's part of the reason I love it. It gets the old motor running. It gets the blood flowing. I'm scared to death of it. It's terrifying. and I love these people. I have no idea why I'm talking about this. I love these people who say, and it's always some, you know, marine biologist or some some shark expert. You'll be watching shark. Shark Week on Discovery Channel or whatever channel it's on. I think it's Discovery Channel. You'll be watching Shark Week, and it'll be, you know, an hour-long episode of when tiger sharks attack. And it'll be, you know, well, I've I lost both of my legs, and well, I got to see my friend's head bitten off in front of me. And it's all these horrifying stories about there's blood in the water, and there was screaming, it hurts so bad. And you're just sitting there with your jaw hanging open thinking, wow. That's the worst experience ever. And you know what you get? You always get this marine biologist come on after that, and you know I'm right? And he says something like, look, it's just a case of mistaken identity. The shark thinks that the surfer is a seal, and that's why the shark attacked you. Well, yeah. I. What does that have to do with anything? What does that... Does the fact that it's an accident, is that, is that going to provide some sort of comfort as the tiger shark's teeth are separating my upper torso from my lower torso? Am I going to be drowning into the bottom of the ocean in my own blood and ocean water and saying to myself, well, look, he just screwed up. It's not a big deal. Did they hear themselves? It would be like saying, well, I mean, somebody broke in my house tonight and killed me with an ax And somebody's standing by the bed saying, look, he just sleepwalks and does this. It's nothing to be afraid of. How does that help the situation at hand? If the animal, which is a gigantic eating machine, can kill me and will kill me because he thinks I'm a seal, that's no comfort. I'm dead just the same. If anything it's more terrifying, I would almost rather he purposely be going after me. Well, he just thought I was a seal. I guess it's my day to go. That's no comfort at all. It's absolutely no comfort at all. The ocean's horrifying. Speaking of horrifying, we opened up today's show talking about the mysterious, creepy Dyatlov Pass incident. D-Y-A-T-L-O-V, Dyatlov Pass, took place in 1959. If you missed the opening of today's show, you're going to want to hear it the podcast is available of the entire show pretty close to after the show I mean almost immediately after on Google Spotify iHeart it's an easy way to listen to it on iHeart Apple if that's your thing you're an iPhone guy it's all right there on the it's all right there in the palm of your hands if you ever catch an opening today's would be one of the ones you need to catch but it's, speaking of the mysterious thing Danger, I like it. To an extent, I like it. And I talked about, uh, when I was talking about the Dyatlov Pass incident, the elk hunting thing. And let me explain what we used to do. And let me just tell you, for you city slickers out there, you need to get a guide, a professional guide, if you're ever going to try to do something like this. But we were extremely experienced. And there's something about the wilderness in the mountains that's great because it's remote and because it's dangerous. So what we would do is we'd find an area where we knew we were going to elk hunt later on that year when it became elk season. And we would pack a bunch of mules because mules are best to pack gear on. We would pack a bunch of mules with all kinds of gear. We're talking food, toilet paper, all this stuff. We'd load them down. And we'd hop on horses, and you'd run a mule behind you, just like you see in the John Wayne movies. You'd run a mule behind you, and we would ride up into the mountains. And then we would bring shovels along. We actually dug out a professional toilet out there in the mountains, Chris. We had to dig this big pit and then put these logs over the top of it where we then screwed in an actual toilet seat, an actual toilet seat right there in the mountains. So when you had to, you know, use the john, you didn't have water splattering on you like in the Denver airport. But, and then we had these huge five gallon drums we brought along. And what we did was we dug these pits in the bottom of the, uh, in, in the ground, filled up these five gallon drums with, you know, beefaroni and cans of beans and toilet paper and everything else. And then we rode out of the mountains. And four or five months later, elk season comes and you hop on your horses. And again, you pack the mules with perishables this time and you ride up into the mountains to elk camp. It's awesome, but it's awesome because it's scary. You get up there and you're riding through the forest of Montana and there's nobody around in any direction for 50 miles. 100 miles? And you know, it is just a cool experience. Maybe it's because I'm such a history freak. You know that nobody has been here where you are for a long time, if ever. You know that if something goes really wrong here, you are screwed. And you also know you're all alone. You have your guys you're with. You have your weapon. You let somebody know to come looking for you if you're smart, if you're not back in a few days, but you're all alone. And there's something Lewis and Clark feeling about that. Lewis, and, please tell me you know who Lewis and Clark are, Chris. All right, good. There's something about that feeling of hunkering down and you set up your tent, start a campfire, and you're alone in the mountains. It's a cool feeling, highly. Highly recommend that, and I have no earthly idea how I get onto that. Now, allow me to shift gears for just a moment. And I'll probably play you this audio cut because I have an audio cut of this. Uh, I'll probably play it for you in the last segment. I don't want to do it right now. But there's a media guy, one of the various media contributors out there. He went on CNN, and he essentially did a, well, You deserve coronavirus if you voted for Trump kind of a thing. That wasn't what he said verbatim. I'll play you what he said verbatim in the end. And what's happened is, have you ever known somebody bitter? You have, undoubtedly, right? Divorced dude, divorced woman, feminist, whatever form bitterness takes. You've known somebody in your life that's bitter. Maybe they even had any, every reason to be. Just bitter, let themselves get stuck in that trap. Maybe you're bitter right now. Nothing destroys the clarity of your thinking like bitterness. Nothing does. And nothing is less appealing in another human being than bitterness. Hang on. some brains on this show now. So we are going to Marina Medvin. She's the senior columnist at townhall.com and a contributor to Ford and a trial attorney. Marina, first of all, you and I have never had this conversation before. Why trial attorney when there are all kinds of other different kinds of attorneys you could be? Do you just like to brawl it out or what?
5: Actually, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, the, is more fun. that's the least surprising <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Now what kind of cases like I don't understand the law field at all. What kind of cases do you take? do you refuse them? do you take everybody what what
5: Well, you can't take everyone because you have to actually budget your time for clients uh, but I particularly do criminal defense
1: ooh, that's good because I'm probably going to need one of those soon what what's How does one drinking
5: a lot during
1: your coronavirus quarantine? Yes, yes, yo, yeah, you know, I (laughs) I make it a habit to break as many laws as humanly possible. You know what? Speaking of the quarantines, how are you dealing with the education of the kids during this time? Because I will tell you, I understand there are a million other factors going on out there right now, but people are not talking enough about the stress at home that parents are going through, figuring out how to, you know, do algebra again.
5: invested quite a bit of time in educating myself on how to educate my daughter so I've spent quite a bit of time already leading up to this working with her on every possible subject just because my school was very weak in everything and so for me I was prepared just because I've done this before but I know other parents are struggling because number one they don't have the time they're still working from home and number two they're not used to teaching It's a different methodology than what you're used to in whatever field you are in. And so a lot of parents are running into those issues. But I say this, you know, at the minimum and looking at the bright side, at least your kid is not being brainwashed at school anymore. I mean, the amount of time these teachers put into telling your kid that they're born racist and all these other things and that only Marxism can save the world, you know, at least you're not getting that.
1: Yeah, that is a fact. What is your overall take on how we as a nation have handled this entire thing? Are you mortified by it like I am? Are you thrilled? Do you think it was necessary? Where do you fall down on all this?
5: Well, (laughs) both. Everything. I'm confused. All right, so when this first happened and I saw how Trump was reacting, I looked back at Israel and I realized that everything they were doing, we did after them. So they'll do something extreme, we copy. And I realized that, all right, Israel, and I'm thinking to myself, they are intelligent, they're safe, that basically what they do is counterterrorism, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe there's something else to this, that it's not just a sickness, it's something else, something from a lab, but it's more dangerous. There's something we don't know. And so I kept an open mind. But When the data started flowing in, and the percentages kept going down and down and down once we realized that, wait a minute, this is not as serious. This is not like a 60% death rate, black plague pandemic. It's not that at all. The numbers that are coming out right now are showing this is probably going to be about a 0.4% death rate. Now, yes, that's high. Those are human lives. But is that something you shut down a country for? This is not a black plague. The amount of economic damage that is resulting from all this is shocking. It's astounding. And nobody cares about these businesses. People are pretending to care, but realistically, they don't. I I keep seeing people tweeting and on Facebook saying things like, stay home, stay home, as if everyone has this economic advantage to just not work and just to rest and eat grapes. We don't have that opportunity. There's people out there who need to work for a living and make ends meet. And this idea that, oh, well, maybe their rent won't be due and this and that. Those are fairy tales. Landlords want their rent. People have to pay for their lifestyle, for their food, for their lifestyle wipes if they can find them.
1: How did we get here as far as the disconnect goes? I I have argued endlessly that this is a bubble problem. This is a D.C., New York City corridor bubble problem. And that's why all the people with opinions and platforms, for the most part, come from there. The policymakers come from there. And they're so disconnected with the rest of the country that that's why you see this massive gap between what politicians say and what normal people say. Is that it? Is it more complicated? Is it more simple? What is it?
5: I think different people are saying different things. So first of all, everyone is afraid and people are scared into compliance. And so I think the politicians are hearing from their constituents that, yes, do what you need to do. Save me because I'm afraid and everyone is being uniformly misinformed, and this is the biggest problem. So I think what you're seeing is you're seeing a group of people who want to educate themselves, who independently seek out information, and that's going to be your listener group. So people who listen to you and people who want to learn independent of general media or whatever the government's telling them, they're going to say and question all of this, and they're going to say, this is insane. There's something off. The numbers aren't adding up. This doesn't make sense. This is an irrational response. It's not congruent. What's going on? But I don't know that that's the majority of Americans. I mean, we as a nation vote for what? what percentage of us vote for Hillary Clinton and for politicians that are not ever going to be in your best interest as an American. So they're making irrational decisions as this. I mean, I, I don't expect majority of conservatives to make rational decisions either. I think a lot of times people who vote conservative don't vote for the right reasons. So I think there's a lot of disconnect between all the different political groups of people and Americans as a whole as to what to do, who to listen to, and how to get up from under your own fear. Because at the end of the day, people are being terrified into compliance into just saying, yes, I'll stay home, I'll take the risks, and I, I won't worry about what's going to happen in two months when I come out and there are no jobs left because all businesses had to go out of business.
1: Let me ask you something. Is this legal? I, I have to be honest. I, I see a mayor pointing at this business and that business and saying you will close. I see a governor deciding you will close. Oh, grocery stores. Oh, you're allowed to open, but you can't sell mosquito repellent or garden seeds. And honestly, beyond necessary, not necessary, like it or hate it, I've thought to myself several times, there's no way that can be legal. They don't have the authority to do that. Or am I wrong? And they do.
5: Every state gives themselves certain authority in emergencies. And when there is an emergency, and Trump is declaring an emergency in all of these states, or we've got 50 states declared emergency. So you've got the federal government declaring an emergency. You've got the local governments responding that way, and they're saying this is a pandemic, which means they have broad authority over keeping people indoors. When it comes to closing down businesses, if they're saying the reason why is because we want to protect health and safety, depending on the state, they probably have that authority, depending on how they articulate it. But they're saying, well, look, we don't want people going in. We're protecting people. The question isn't so much do they have the right to do it. It's more are they exercising that right properly?
1: Marina so Medvin, have the right to do it. senior columnist, townhall.com and award-winning trial attorney. Thank you so much for giving us some time.
5: All right. Bye-bye.
1: Be good. How about that, Chris? These emergency powers, man. Beware the emergency powers.
4: A little stocky. Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly DC.
1: Producer Chris had a rare great point during the break that. We still have Biden-Trump debates to go into. We still get to witness those, and that is going to be, Chris, I can't decide if the country's going to love it or hate it. And here's what I mean by that. Obviously, everybody's going to watch. Everybody watches those debates. You know we're going to watch, too, because it's fun. But even Democrats are saying, everybody can see what's happening with Joe Biden right now. Everybody can see it. It's genuinely sad. Yesterday, I'm not even going to play the audio for you. Yesterday, Bernie did like a side-by-side video thing where Bernie was obviously in his house. Biden was in his house. And Bernie did this thing where he was endorsing Joe Biden, which is the thing everybody does when they drop out. They endorse you know, the guy who's going to be the guy. At one point, after Bernie endorsed Joe Biden, and they're just talking back and forth on camera. Joe Biden, quite obviously, as an answer to the question that Bernie just asked him, looks to the side and reads his answer to Bernie's question off the teleprompter that he has beside him on the camera. He can't even answer basic questions live. He has been resting during this entire time because you're not out there campaigning. You're not flying around. You're not traveling to and fro meals shaking hands kissing babies giving speeches you know this is the ultimate relaxation campaign for any presidential candidate he should be in tip top shape he cannot give a basic interview without just completely losing his train of thought 10 times misspeaking I mean the guy is re- in really really bad shape he's in such bad such bad shape I of all people have backed off of making fun of him it's, it's genuinely sad. Democrats have come out and said, come on, man, we can't do Look at this. Come on. We can't do this. It's genuinely, if, who hasn't known somebody or known someone who knows somebody going through these issues later on in life? It's, it's awful to watch old people go through it. It's freaking awful. It's awful for them. It's stressful for them. That's why Biden yells at everybody now. It's awful for their loved ones. to It just sucks. And this guy is going to be the Democratic nominee for president of the United States of America as his brain slowly becomes hot mush. Which brings me to the debates I just talked about. Donald Trump is, well, Donald Trump is a horribly tempered junkyard dog. And what I mean by that is Donald Trump attacks everybody. He gives no quarter to anyone. Oh, your gold star parents who just lost your son in a war, but you attack me up. I'm blasting away both barrels. Oh, you're John McCain. You hate my guts. I hate your guts and you attack me. I will stand up. And say that I actually like people who weren't ever captured, which is one of the most mortifying things anybody's ever said. Even Trump's most hardcore supporters are like, "Oh gosh, yeah, you know, that that was that was too far." He will, like I said, he's the junkyard dog. He's going to 100% bite the mailman and get you sued, and in that moment, you hate that junkyard dog. At the same time. He's going to tear a robber's throat out one night as he tries to break in and hurt your kids because he attacks everybody. Everybody. What I'm saying to you is you have to picture what's coming. Donald Trump is going to be standing on that debate stage with Joe Biden. And the Biden campaign people, they know what the situation is. They know how bad he is. So they'll do everything they can to try to shield him from that. But look, this is an inevitability. You cannot duck a presidential debate when you are your party's nominee. You simply cannot. Can you imagine how that's going to go? Even if you're one of these people who hate Donald Trump, I'm not. But even if you are, the guy is good on his feet. That's why he's so great at those campaign rallies. He gets up there, gives two-hour speeches, and he's working the crowd, and he's good on his feet. It's what he does well. A lot of people are not. Even professional politicians are not. It's one of those things you have it or you don't. He's up there in his wheelhouse. He's up there doing what he does well, and he's squaring off against Joe Biden, who's going to misspeak and screw things up 9,000 times and donald trump is not going to be merciful donald trump is not going to let it go when joe biden has a moment where everybody says uh okay that he has he quite obviously has dementia and this is sad and every you know every suburban mom is at home kind of cringing and feeling bad for joe donald trump will not be feeling bad for joe Donald Trump is going to crush him. (laughs) And it's not like, I mean, look, okay. I am looking forward to it. I was about to try to say, oh, I'm not looking forward to it. Of course I am, but it is going to be looking forward to it in a way, looking forward to seeing a car crash that you're not involved in. Gosh, it's going to be ugly. Oh, oh, it's going to be ugly. You know what? I've got a million dollar question for you, Chris. Hang on. So here's the question, Chris, and I bet you they're going to do this or at least try to do this. You know, you can't hide him from the debates. But do they try and use the coronavirus to hide him from the debates? What if, what if, call me a conspiracy nutter. What if they come up with uh, Joe Biden, uh, his, his, actually his lungs haven't been feeling good lately. It just wouldn't be safe. So we'll do a debate, but it'll be in video form, video conferencing, which gives Joe Biden the ability to have prompts behind the camera, to have a teleprompter, to have things. It gives him, look, it's, he's still going to be exposed, but it gives you much, much more of an ability to cover for him. You watch, I wouldn't at all be surprised to watch them try to use coronavirus as an excuse, well, look, we can't, ex- look, he's been, he had a fever yesterday. I, We can't, we can't risk it. Or maybe they agree to the debate and then pull out a day or two ahead of time. Uh, he's not feeling well. We can't, we can't take any chances. You can email me Jesse at com or the whole show. It will be available immediately after on iHeart, Google, Spotify, Apple. Enjoy it all. Enjoy your evening. We are going to be back to rock and ruin some more tomorrow. That's all.
4: The C Kelly show:
1: You don't have to dip forever. You know that right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long, and what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Ah, it's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey, and I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch, that didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, get 10% off.
0: I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C.,